Hey everyone, welcome back to Coaches on the Beach. We want to first thank everyone for the support we have received over the first three episodes of the podcast. I know I've received a lot of text messages, phone calls, and even in-person um, just great responses from it. And so I want to take every, thank everyone for that. Um, for this episode, um, we're going to be talking all about recruiting. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about the June 15th date, what that means, uh, what signing period is, visits, best practices to get recruited, and what commitment means. Um, we've also brought on a special guest for this show. Um, we brought on Wayne Hawley. He has experience as a head and an assistant coach for the beach game, and we've also he's also worked with the USA High Performance and USA Junior National Teams. Um, and he's also now started up his own company for beach prospects to help uh, young high school athletes get recruited, educate them on the beach. And um, we just want to thank you for being here with us, Wayne. Well, awesome to be with you guys. Uh, nothing like having a good afternoon and uh, talking volley with some guys who, like me, love to do it. Uh, Wayne's got a ton of experience recruiting. Obviously, uh, what was it? how many years at Tulane? as well as your indoor time across a couple other schools, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, just under just under 10 years. I was at Tulane for uh, six. I was at uh, Georgia State for one wonderful year in Beach. And then prior to Tulane, I was with the Brown University uh, indoor women for a couple of years. So came up on uh, almost 10 years of doing it until we hit COVID and uh, they decided that 10 years and uh, that was enough and I was going to go off and try to do something else. So uh, here I am trying to do something else. Yeah. And it seems to be working pretty well. Um, obviously just had your big event uh, two weeks ago. Now time days are all running together for me. Um, <laughs> weeks yeah, ago, right? Memorial day. yeah. Memorial day. Uh, <clears throat> can you, you know, as somebody, obviously Michael and I are a little bit newer to uh, college volleyball and College Beach in general. Can you talk about some of the changes that you've seen in recruiting and recruiting processes from those first years at Brown to Tulane to obviously now being on the player side of it? Yeah, boy, that, that could be a whole new show, right, guys? We probably go on for hours about that. But, um, yeah, probably the single biggest uh, change in recruiting over that time, guys, as you know, is that, and boy, you'll help me, maybe it was four years ago, maybe five years ago now, where they, where the recruiting contact rules got moved back. So it used to be maybe four or five years ago, right, that, that volleyball coaches could contact and, you know, kids, even if they were in ninth grade, right, and make offers to them. And, you know, we all saw headlines where, you know, in, in particularly indoor volleyball, right, um, kids were getting recruited and, um, you know, committing even on the occasional eighth and ninth grader, right? And but that you know that's changed now. So now, as we all know, those coaches can't really reach out and contact the kids or reply to the kids, right, or talk to them uh, until June fifteenth, following the sophomore year, right? So that's probably that's probably the single biggest and well-known change. The biggest shift in how recruiting works is probably that change. There's changes every year on smaller things but that that seems to have been a pretty dramatic change that um, shifted shifted you know not only coaching and recruiting practices but also probably uh, you know how kids approach it and how families approach it too 
Yeah, I got I got a kind of a final up que- uh, follow up question for you on this one. Is like how has social media kind of changed everything as well? Uh, I mean, I know for us, we do a lot of our initial contact, our our initial scene uh, on Instagram because there's no real big beach pro, uh, big beach site or YouTube or something like that. How's that changed from your perspective? Yeah, hey Michael, boy, that's a good one, and and probably that probably rivals the you know the change I just talked about, right? Social media and use of it is probably. Uh, the second biggest change, right, in recruiting practices. So, you know, I don't, I don't pretend to know all the answers. I think from from my chair, I think what I see is, it's opened up um, a massive avenue for prospects now to be seen, right, and get themselves in front of coaches. Whereas before, uh, you know, it was the more traditional methods of reaching out, you know, emailing and phone call, and then of course live, and then. Um, you know, trying to send video, um, but but it's probably made its biggest impact on prospects' ability to get themselves in front of coaches. Um, and then I think the secondary impact might be for schools who don't have the budgets to get out and see players live uh, either at all or so often. It's made the pool of prospects in any given recruiting class now kind of visually right available to those staffs who don't have the budgets to get out and see the players um you know and, and you suggested it right you might you it sounds like you might peruse social media a little bit as a supplement to your traditional method so it's been it's now another uh i think really cool avenue for programs who um, maybe can't get out as often to start to look at kids discover them and maybe do an initial kind of pass on players so yeah, social media has been really, really cool impact on on uh, on recruiting. To say nothing of the of all the entire group of people who unfortunately have made mistakes, right, on social media and perhaps hurt themselves in recruiting, of course. But uh, you know, hopefully those kids will learn from that. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And like to go off of that, like the budgets and all that stuff, like with beach growing and everything, I think social media has been a huge help for our. Um, our university, our program, and it, it truly allows you to kind of recruit nationally. Uh, where we're in North Louisiana, where there's there's not a whole lot of beach volleyball around us, um, but now I'm able to recruit, see and recruit kids from both coasts easily, from the northwest, from the northeast. It, it, it's been a really cool change for me to see in my time from the indoor to the beach game. So. I, I love what social media is doing, and it's a it's a free platform for them. You know, it's something that I, I thought of while, while I was listening to you is I, I was complimenting a coach just the other day on on their school's use of social media, um, right, to present the school, right? So we talk about prospects presenting themselves and putting their best foot forward on social media for coaches. But coaches and programs and universities are, are doing a better job now of using it to put their package, right, and their program in front of kids, right? And so you see uh, social media channels and accounts that aren't the, that aren't necessarily the beach volleyball coaches doing it or not even maybe athletics, right? But you see the admissions offices putting out tours of the campus and, you know, scenery and, 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 and presenting the campus in a way um that otherwise it might not be seen sure you have websites and stuff but my my feeling is that young prospects now um 
you know, don't use websites as often. I think everything is, you know, kind of social media. So you can see great tours through social media being put on by admissions offices. You can see tours of the dorms, which is really awesome. Um, and the facilities at these schools are being presented, I think, very well by some schools. Um, and so each side, I think, is doing a better job of using social to present themselves to the other, right? Yeah, and that I think that segues into kind of the next piece, right? We've talked about June 15th, um, and that being the, we haven't really said it yet, but that's the first date that um, rising juniors can contact college coaches, right? So for this year, uh, 2023, rising juniors will be high school grads in the 2025 class. Um, they can have phone calls, <clears throat> right? But there's still no uh, in-person contact allowed, recruiting contact allowed um, until August 1st. So how does the social media and the online piece uh, impact that kind of gap period, right? I think any any coach will tell you uh, visiting campus is pretty important, right? You gotta You gotta see a school before you can really make that that hardcore decision and um you're technically not allowed to meet go on campus with a college coach until august 1st but we've seen numerous athletes commit between june 15th and august 1st so how does that online piece impact uh you as on your side helping the athletes guide them in recruiting and even beyond yeah they do go hand in hand colin um you know we try to tell people that, look, you know, if you're anticipating a, a call on June 15th and, oh, by the way, or anticipating making calls on June 15th, right? We, we just put something out today that reminded people that, hey, your phone dials out too, right? So, you know, there's the passive way, which is to sit on the sofa with your fingers crossed and, you know, and hope it's a good day for you so you don't get down and, you know, be kind of left, uh, you know, on the outside looking in. But, but there's a way to avoid that, which is all you got to do is, you know, do a little preparation, figure out who you want to reach out to, and you can make some calls too, right? Um, and you can text, and you can text a, you could text any number of schools and say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to call you in five minutes, or can we talk next week? So, um, but that aside, you know, preparation, right? So social media comes into that preparation piece, right? If I'm expecting a call from somebody, or I'm going to make some calls, you know, I could use social media to supplement my preparation. Is this a school that I want to call? Well, let me take a look at the campus, right? Let me take a look at their video tour. Let me take a look at, uh, you know, whatever, whatever each prospect is important to them or their family, right? We, and, and it's different for everybody, right? You may be looking just at who the coach is or what the volleyball team has done recently, or you may be looking at graduation rates, or you might be looking at the, you know, average enrollment in, you know, classes, or you might be looking at, how soon do grads at the school get employed or what's their average salary, right? Or what are the possibilities for internships and careers in the city in which the school is? So whatever is important to um, each athlete and each prospect to kind of figure out, is this a school that I want to learn more about and reach out to? Um, you know, the use of social media to figure out all of that data or, you know, pictures or whatever it is, I think um, can be done effectively to prepare uh, for June 15th and figure out, Hey, is this a school I'm interested in or not? Yeah. yeah. And talking about, uh, June 15th, right. I've seen, you know, getting some emails now that say, um, Hey coach, really very much looking forward to the June 15th deadline. Um, and I think that terminology is, uh, concerning, right? I mean, I deadline <laughs> day one, right. I, you don't get married on the first date normally. Right. I mean, you know, there's there's so much time and somebody who helps 
obviously a ton of athletes on your end. Um, what is kind of, is the social media piece supplanting the actual research that we're doing, the time that we're spending recruiting? What did, what do you see from that end? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Colin. It's it's a great question, and and I I'm not sure that I know the answer to that. I I think that um, you know it's it. I think it could be a window through which people start to make some initial impressions, but I I think that it might be premature to completely exclude schools based on right what you found on social media right i mean it should i maybe maybe my best advice to people would be hey let what you saw through social media uh, uh through a particular school inform your judgment right or maybe it informs some of the questions you might ask but i think that if you're if you're fortunate enough to to receive a phone call or you were thinking about making a call to a school and your first impression of that school through what you saw online or social um, didn't knock your socks off, I think it might still be a mistake not to take the call and learn more, right? Because, you know, hey, how about this? How often do we tell people that, you know, what we see portrayed on social media may or may not actually reflect reality, right? So just as kids are going to put their best foot forward on social media and, and, and add a particular slant, right, to what their life looks like, you know, there's, of course, there's no question that the schools are doing the same, and that's not that's not dishonesty. That's called marketing, right? So, um, so I, I would I would be loath to suggest probably that it's a good idea to decline further inquiry based solely on what you saw uh, on a first pass, uh, because a phone call doesn't take anything but a little bit of time, and and you can certainly decline to move forward at the end of a call, right? I, I think coaches should let prospects make their pitch and i think prospects should let coaches make their pitch right yeah i i think i think what you just said speaks so much because something that i learned like not in the recruiting stages or anything but after uh i graduated was if if somebody is willing to offer you a job or offer you an interview you take it because that practice will get you further and you'll you'll learn more about yourself and uh obviously coaches and players alike they're going to go into that, that June 15th date with a couple of names in mind that they would like to hear from or they would like to talk to. Um, but anyone outside of that, that list, um, that could be practice, if not a perfect fit for you down the road. Um, and that, that is something that I, I really like to tell our athletes is like when, whenever we're talking to student athletes that we're recruiting, I don't. I want you to explore everything. And part of the recruiting uh, side for me is to go see another campus. I don't want you just to come visit ULM and then be like, yeah, this is the perfect spot for me. How do you know? So many campuses out there are so different. So I, I, I like how you're letting people explore their options and telling people to explore their options because I think that that's a big thing. And with those visits dates, on August 1st, um, there's there's a whole couple months in there that you can do other things. And some of those other things are like camps. Um, there's a lot of big college camps where they bring in multiple coaches. I think that's a great way. You you ran a great one Memorial Day. I, I was lucky enough to get invited out to that one. Um, I know Colin's done some out at 210 in San Antonio. Um and those, those camps where there's a bunch of different college coaches, there might be one coach that you're going to impress, but you're meeting 
five to six other coaches that you might find a connection with. Yeah, there's nothing like just opening, um, you know, the world by accepting phone calls and chatting with people and, and um, you know, giving people a chance to, you know, uh, convince you, right, and, and, and going into things with an open mind. You know, a funny anecdote, you know, Michael is for a coach, right? So, uh, you know, before I was uh, hired at Tulane, you know, this was back in, say, this must have been 2012, um, you know, I was sitting on the beach, uh, you know, at the Hermosa Pier reading a book and I get a text message from a, a friend in Florida that says, uh, you know, hey, the Tulane job opened up. So, you know, so I said, well, OK, so, you know, what's that got to do with me? Right. So, um, you know, and he was saying, well, you know, you ought to really go look into that. And and um, and my initial question was, you know, I'd been to New Orleans one time in my life. My brother lived there previously. And I just remembered it being a place that wasn't. Um, you know, kind of my scene. Right. But um, but I was talked into going. Right. I had I had another friend in my ear that said, boy, Wayne, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Right. Why don't you make a good decision and go there and walk around and and rather than prejudge this possibly great opportunity. Right. Because you think you don't like New Orleans. Why don't you go there and check it out? And, and I listened to her um, and I, I, I bought a flight and I flew to New Orleans on my by myself one weekend without telling anyone. And I spent a couple of days there and I realized very quickly, wow, that was good advice. New Orleans is a pretty cool place, right? There's there's neighborhoods and pockets that aren't my scene, but there's neighborhoods and pockets that uh, I love very much, right? Probably like any city. And so um, that was what allowed me, you know, um, being an open-minded and going and checking it out, I realized, oh, okay, this isn't what I thought it was at all. And of course, you know, it turned out I liked it a lot. I would encourage kids to kind of take that same open mindset to, you know, uh, look, listen, talk, and then, and then you can make your mind up over time, right? Yeah. And I think that time piece is uh, really important. I know it touched on it a couple of times, but June 15th, right, day one, literal day one, or day zero, if you will, right? And uh, and it's, I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've never been able to really identify if somebody that I truly want to spend a lot of time with uh, happens on day one. Um, usually it takes a few conversations. It takes a little bit of time. Um, and so taking that, taking that extra effort to research and realize, okay, are these people I want to interact with for four years uh, is kind of an important piece. Yeah. And with that being said, Colin, what, what does your recruiting process kind of look like? Do you have a set plan that you like to go through with each recruit, like a checkbox, or is it just kind of free flowing? Yeah, I mean, there are boxes to check, right? Um, I think we talked about going to campus, obviously, is kind of one-one. Um, figuring out what they need versus what we also need for our program. Um, I, you know, personal anecdote, right? I was recruiting at another university and had a, a call with an athlete that we had. She'd come to campus and we had an offer out to, um, and we were talking and just kind of going about, you know, I, I like to ask people, hey, what's the dream? You know, what's your dream? And uh, <clears throat> and, and then ask, what was your dream? Just to show that kind of dichotomy. I, you know, personally, dream wasn't to coach collegiate beach volleyball when I was 10 years old, when I was 16 years old, when I was 18 years old, right? It didn't, this didn't come around until later. So stuff changes, right? Life changes. And um, talking to her, she said, well, you know, a couple months ago, like my dream school was the University of South Carolina. Now I had I happened to know those guys fairly well working there three years might have helped that whole thing. <laughs> but um i said well did you call them 
right? Did you, did you ask the University of South Carolina if they would be interested in recruiting you? I said, no, well, they just hadn't reached out yet. And I said, all right, here's the deal. Like, offers on hold until you at least make an effort to contact them. Um, well, she's committed to the University of South Carolina now, so probably pretty bad for my job, um, but pretty great for, I think, my job because that athlete is going to have an opportunity to live out the her dream. And um, I never want somebody to, to come to a university and think to themselves, man, I wonder what would happen if I had just reached out to Louisiana Monroe. Um, and so my recruiting process, uh, while it's going to be different for every athlete, I think it's going to include seeking out all the things that you think you want and actually taking the time to identify are those things that I do want um, or are they just things that seem cool on Instagram. Um, yeah, sometimes I, they're both. I think that that double-edged sword is like one of the hardest things about coaching is like you're here for the student athletes. So like during that recruiting process, this is this is a pretty big life decision. And I like to recruit people that are going to be here for four years, not get here and then look for that transfer portal right away. Um, and that that is something that it, it's hard because you know that you have a student athlete, a potential student athlete that would really love your campus, really make your team great. But you have I, I think as a coach, you have to tell them, go explore some more options. Make sure this is going to be the right fit. Make sure you're going to give me 100%, like I'm going to give you 100% when you get here. And how does that kind of, Wayne, I'm going to bounce this through you. How does that kind of, how is your switch from college recruiting into the other side and showing the, the potential student athletes, hey, these are the options. Like what, what are you looking for? What different things are important to you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I love listening to you guys that take that approach, you know, backing up a second, Michael, because, you know, what I learned when I got to do it was, you know, my approach was very similar to what you guys described as your approach is I learned very quickly that that approach paid huge dividends. And, and yet we all would agree that we don't do it to pay huge dividends, right? We didn't do that against what we believed in because we thought it was going to pay dividends down the road. We didn't do it. In other words, we didn't do that strategically, right? You do it because in your gut, in your bones, you say, this is the right thing to do. And I will live my life doing the right thing to do, even if it doesn't always give me a short-term result, right? So, um, but the added benefit to doing the right thing and being authentic is that it happens strategically to be the most beneficial thing for us to do as well, right? I mean, how many people will, you know, have I and will you guys run into that said, you know, we remember when you told us that you should, we should go and explore, right? People always remember that, right? Because it makes them, uh, it makes them feel a certain way, right? And, and you know, the old saying, people remember how you make them feel, right? And so, um, I love that. And I always love it when I get to talk with someone that we're working with and, and, and she tells me, Hey, this is what the coach said. I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. Like, that's so great. And we try to, we try to convey to the family what they already know, which is, Hey, good for that coach. That's awesome to hear that they're saying that, you know, and that story will be retold so many times to, to your benefit. Right. So, um, so cool. Not surprising to hear that that's, I was just going to kind of go into you guys because you both have, obviously we share a lot of similar values, um, but there's a Brett Ledbetter. He does uh, what drives winning. And 
he asks a lot of his coaches that question of um, what's the value that you hold that you would give up your job for, right? What's the thing, what's the value that is so true to you that you would get fired for it? Um, but I'm curious to hear kind of what, what you guys say, because for, for me, it's that, right? I'd rather, rather than trick somebody into coming to my university and winning a bunch of games, um, but ultimately having that, that thought of like, ah, oh, I wonder what would have happened if, um, maybe it's because I'm young and I don't have a family or anything like that, but uh, that's the thing that I would, that's the thing I would sacrifice my job, right? If my admin said, Hey, you have to, you can never tell another athlete to reach out to another school. Um, then that's probably where I would, that's where I draw the line. That's where I go. Well, college coaching was fun. Let's try something else now. Um, and I'm curious where you guys stand, you know, in your new Wayne, in your new role or Michael as, as somebody who's been around indoor and beach. Yeah, I'll jump in there. Uh, for me, um, by the way, shout out Ledbetter is awesome. Love this stuff. Uh, can't listen to it enough. Um, rabid authenticity, um, rabid loyalty to the players, right? Um, and and those those translate into what I do now, right? So you know whether it's a, as a coach. Um, I felt like my view, maybe, you know, it's almost like being a great teammate, right? Rabid loyalty to the players. One of the most important roles I, I thought that I had as a coach was to constantly be going to administration to ask for more. What more can I get from my players? And, and that's not to say we were lacking. It's just to say that no matter what we had, I, I was going to be going in and asking for more from my players. As simple as that, because... I adored the fact that they decided to come here. I love the fact that they worked hard for our team. And I love the fact that there's a lot of schools out there and they chose us. And so um, as a matter of loyalty back to them, I wanted to see what I could possibly get for them, whether, you know, whether it's funding or sunglasses issued as part of the uniforms, right? Or free sunblock or increased budget or, you know, more dinners out, more time together, whatever those things are, right? Like it was always, Part of my job, I felt like, was to try to get more, and and also, um, you know, to be authentic, to be honest with them, and you know, where what does that look like as a coach? It means it starts with honest feedback to prospects, right? You know, one of the things we'll probably chat with it a little bit down the road with is, I think it's hard for a coach to write an email to a kid that says, "Hey, look, we're not going to recruit you." Like, I mean. All coaches love kids and they love to teach and they love the opportunity to teach. That's why they do this job. And so um, any anyone who's chosen to coach, I think, finds that something somewhat. But, but giving them candid advice, doing that because we want to be authentic, right? Or um, or in any other ways, being as truthful and candid with the players as, as we can. And, of course, the methods we choose to deliver the truth, of course, can be debated. And there's great methods and ineffective methods. But whatever your methods Everyone's designed, you know, they're all designed to try to provide accuracy. So I, I thought those were meaningful, um, you know, characteristics or values that I believe in. And now, you know, th those translate into now when I'm not coaching in college as much as, hey, try to give the public and, and the people you're working with accurate information, right? Try to be straightforward with them. You know, if somebody thinks that they can go to, you know, a top three school and they're not a top three athlete yet and they're not exhibiting characteristics that, indicate it's foreseeable that they will become a top three athlete in the next you know year and a half then you got to tell that person that and you have to find the right method right but honesty um 
truthfulness, um, being authentic with people as an advisor, um, uh, I think are um, critical values. And the same is when, if I get to talk, and we don't do this that much as part of what I do, it's not really to, to advocate, you know, call up coaches and advocate for the people I'm working with. I don't really do that that much. It's just not part of what we do. Um, but if I am, don't oversell people, right, guys? I, it's like, you know, as, as coaches, I think we talk, you know, let's, let's be candid. You know, if you're a coach, you know, there's, there's, there's the people who call you who oversell people, right? And there's the people who uh, call you and they ride a professional line between, hey, this kid is with me. They're in my club or I train them. And yet I hear, you know, and I want them, you know, to go there. I want them to have a good result, but I'm also owe you an obligation of being candid, right? And so, and so that, that obligation of candor, um, also applies, I think, when we're talking to coaches, is just trying to give them the best of information that you can rather than, um, you know, provide inaccurate information or, or oversell somebody. Because like, for me, what spoke most is that, that honesty piece. It, it's a really hard thing as a college coach or as a athlete trying to get recruited, that rejection piece. Like, either rejecting a school as a as an athlete or rejecting a, a a student athlete that's really hard to me because my biggest thing is that development phase that i think these four years are the most developmental for um the student athletes and figuring out what their true values are um what their personalities are and so that's what i talk to a lot of our student athletes about it starts early in the recruiting process and how is your personality going to change when you're in college how is your values going to change because you've been under your your parents roof most of the time and so you probably hold pretty strong values with what your parents see um, but when you get to experience things for yourself how do those change maybe your values aren't as similar to your parents but it doesn't have to be because you're going to be developing into your own person. So I talk a lot about that development part when it comes to um, being able to grow the program, being able to grow yourself. And that's what I think as a coach is my biggest um, advocate that if my admin came to me and was like, hey, we just have to win. I don't, like we have to win. I don't care what kind of relationships you have. Nobody remembers the coaches that have the unbelievable seasons with huge records but the student athletes the people around the program the people they're interacting with they'll have the stories of wow that that person was a really really great person and that is a legacy that I think lives forever versus the win-loss record the 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 championships all that stuff yes it feels really good it'll live for 10-15 years but how many of us will remember who won the championship in 2015 when it's 2050? You know, it, it's something that you will have to go online to look up. But how many of us will remember, hey, you, you know, that that coach over at Coastal Carolina who's now at Southeastern, you know, he, he is a great guy. And look at what he's done since then. He's continued to improve himself. He's continued to look after his athletes. And that, that is a bigger part of coaching for me than the actual wins, losses. And um, I've said it before, but I don't mention, I, I take the John Wooden approach of not mentioning winning a whole lot to our program. Uh, yes, we have goals that we wanted to achieve, 
but we, we talk about how are our personal actions um, affecting how we play, how, what, what type of people we are being, and how is that going to further us in our careers after beach volleyball? How is that going to further us right now for this team? And that team culture is a really big aspect for me when it comes to coaching. I, you know, Colin, I was going to, you know, bring up, you know, Ledbetter again. And, and isn't that, you know, I think, I think what he would say is we don't have to choose between these two things, right? We don't have to choose between, you know, are we going to talk a lot about winning and pursue winning and set that as expressly as a goal or um, acting with authenticity and, um, and, and character, right? In fact, I think that he would say that, look, those two are concepts are married, right? And, and you think about what are the characteristics, right, that you, what are the top five characteristics you respect in another person or your favorite teacher? And then you outline those characteristics and now ask yourself if we, if everyone on this team, on this sports team, improved their um, self, themselves in all five of those characteristics, will that help us win? And the answer inevitably is true, right? And and so, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of great discussion and material about how character development, in fact, leads directly to winning. And so there isn't this false choice between one or the other. In fact, you know, if, if, if we can be effective as leaders with young people and get them to see that, then we actually get the best of both worlds. We can be a quote unquote winning team, right? With character. Um, and, and I love that concept. I still remember where I was when I first read that and a light bulb went off in my brain and I furiously with no apologies read everything ever since that I could find, you know, from him and, and that concept and and tried very hard to implement that into my lives. So Wayne, what are the things that you do to help your players kind of figure that out? Um, I think it's funny because, you know, recruiting calls, you talk all the time, uh, inevitably, well, what are you looking for in a program? Well, I'm looking for a family atmosphere and a good culture, right? Sure. Easiest, it makes sense. Who's not is usually the, the big response after that. But the next important piece is how do you go about figuring out does this place have my version of a good culture or my version of a family? Yeah, what an awesome question. Um, you know, let's start with, we have to rely on the authenticity of the coaches, right? And, and we do. I mean, I, I think the coaches are, 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 are by and large awesome and honest and genuine and really have the kids um, best interest at heart. And so it starts with that, right? Ask the right questions, right? But also, let's go deeper because you know it, it's it, it's it's hard for a coach to have the same perspective as uh, his or her players and also his or her recruits. So, um, talk to the players when you go on a visit. Ask the players what's it like here, um, and do that at a lunch where the coach isn't sitting at the table. Um, you know, and so the players, I think, by and large, uh, are are pretty good about riding that line between loyalty to their program and giving honesty to the honest, you know, giving honest answers. And my experience with, with the players I got to be with was they were exceptional at that. Um, and I think that I learned that they were better at it than I was. And so we really wanted the players and the prospects to interact. So that was a second way to kind of do that. Um, 
in just to get on the campus, ask players, talk to players about what is life like here. Um, and then there's there's other ways. Like there's 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 indirect evidence, right? Um, what is the you know how many people are transferring? And of course, people can transfer for, for many reasons other than that they didn't like where they were, of course. Um, but that's evidence, right? Uh, uh, you know, that's evidence. And so, um, those are some of the things that you know we can suggest to clients as ways that they can figure out what is the culture like there, what is the level of happiness that people experience there. Um, and what is the true day-to-day -day operations as opposed to the marketing version of what it's like to be here. Yeah, and I think that's an important, you know, you kind of touched on it earlier about the coach's perspective, right? That co we're relying on the authenticity. Um, and we've talked a lot about how, you know, we don't want to always say, you know, no to a player um, and how that can be hard. I think, Wayne, you put up something on social media earlier that was um, – it, I, it meant a lot to me kind of reading it uh, and I actually read it ironically enough immediately following a college coach's recruiting question and answer session at an indoor clinic um, where you know coaches gave their best practices and their opinions on recruiting um, but you brought up something really great about the player perspective I don't know if you want to kind of touch on that and then give us that idea of yes it's very easy for Michael and I to realize how this recruiting process with this player is affecting us personally. Um, but sometimes we don't know how it's affecting that athlete. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I, the thoughts that I were was expressing is, and, and I have a unique perspective on this that I didn't have before, right? So, because I, I have to see the world differently and, the, and I have to learn. And, you know, when you're coaching, you have a perspective of, um, recruiting and when you're not coaching you have a perspective of recruiting and so having been on each side of that equation now for a, a lot of um, uh, several years now is I think that in any process particularly one that's formed around relationships I think that if coaches better understand the plight of the players and players understand the plight and experiences and the uh, um, of the coaches that process improves immediately. And so I think that if you were to use Google or you were to talk to somebody, I think 95% of the information that is out there in the public about recruiting is from the perspective of the coach, right? Um, how often is an article written about, you know, the coach's view of what the prospect should be doing, right? Work harder, talk more frequently, be more aggressive, right? Show off this characteristic. It's, it's 95 at least percent of the material that's out there is is the perspective of the coach and my comments were an attempt to open all, everyone's eyes to the fact that can we spend a little bit of time looking at this um, issue recruiting this topic from the perspective of players that's all that was right and so um, I get to see it all the time and I think that I think it is important to take into account the player's perspective of things. And, um, and and sure, we know that coaches can't respond to every email, or we think we know that. And sure, we know, because we've done it, how hard it is to reply to everyone. Right? In, in the business world, if you apply to a job and you're not going to get a hire, you don't often get a letter back that says, thanks for applying, we're not going to hire you. Right? In the business world, it's accepted 
that you don't get rejection letters very often, right? You just you just never hear back from them, right? I mean, Lord knows when I was young and applied for jobs in coaching, I never heard back from people, right? And I just figured, okay, well, I guess that's the norm. But that shouldn't be the norm, in my opinion, in one person's opinion. That doesn't need to be the norm when you have a kid, like essentially applying for that job as an adult, because as between adults, um, our behavior can be one way, and as between adults and children, our behavior can be another. And so, um, you know, kids are crushed when they get no response to coaches, particularly when coaches have solicited them to write to them. Um, kids are crushed when they go to a camp, and often they travel to these camps because they know a coach is going to be there, a particular coach, and the family's invested. And apart from the resources invested to get there, there's an emotional um, attachment to that. Like if, if, if I write to a coach and the coach replies to my email um, before or after June 15th, hey, thanks for email, why don't you come to your camp? Guess what? The kid thinks that you're interested in recruiting them. Okay, they don't have a more sophisticated view that that is not necessarily an invitation. And so when that kid goes there and then doesn't hear back, right, the kid thinks, well, that's odd. What did I do wrong? How did I mess this up? Right. We all know kids were coaches. And I think taking a moment to understand the impact of our conduct and our behavior toward children, toward children is critically important because they're crying themselves to sleep. They're riddled with anxiety they're rife with self-doubt and if we can take a moment to just communicate a little bit better with them even if it was an adult applying for the assistant coach job um, we wouldn't necessarily reply but this is a kid and i think that um, we uh, will do well to think about how we interact with kids um, particularly if we've solicited them to reach out to us differently than how we would interact with uh, another adult in the business. Um, that in a nutshell are like some of the concepts I was uh, expressing. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest pieces about that letter and those thoughts in particular, right, was, um, for me at least, was what are accepted practices in our sport or in our profession, I should say, because I'm sure it's happening in football and baseball and soccer and golf and tent, right, whatever. Um, and what is an accepted practice versus maybe what is right? Um, we all maybe know in, in football or baseball, um, those are just two sports I have a little more familiarity with, right? I worked in baseball for a while. Um, taking an athlete's scholarship away and telling them that they need to find a new university is an accepted practice. Um, is that a proper reaction? Um, is probably another question, right? Is that a proper thing to do to an 18-year-old kid um, or a 19-year-old? And I thought, actually, the opportunity to hang out with uh, Casey Kreider this last weekend, who's the head indoor coach up at University of uh, Maryland, Baltimore County, UMBC. Um, and he, I loved, we were talking about, you know, he was in his second year at uh, UMBC. I'm in my, I just finished my first season at Southeastern and, um, kind of the unique perspective of, hey, you're a new coach in a program that has existed before. Um, and how does that look? And his perspective was always from the, uh, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do right by those players. Because at the end of the day, when I took this job, I chose them, right? Whether there's always that commentary of, oh, they're they're not your recruits. Wait till your kids get there. Wait till your group gets there. 
Um, and he, I thought he brought a very unique perspective of, no, 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 I chose the job, which means I chose them, which means it's my job to do right by them. And every athlete that I bring into my program, it's my job to do right by them. Now, whether that's good for winning or bad for winning, right? Good for losing or bad for losing, however you want to look at it. Um, it's important because that's our job. Your, your job isn't to, if you make a mistake, we talk about this in leadership all the time. When you make a mistake, the best thing you can do for your group is admit it. Right? Hey, I screwed up. That one's on me, right? And unfortunately, sometimes that happens in evaluation, right? Sometimes if somebody's in your program, hey, it's going to be really hard for you to be the starting setter, or it's going to be really hard for you to be our threes defender. Um, and it's okay to acknowledge that and to have that conversation, um, but it's not okay to then treat somebody like a second-class citizen, right? If from the, the recruiting perspective, if you invite somebody to camp and they come and they're not the player that you were hoping they were maybe going to be at camp um, from an athletic perspective, it's hard. I never want to admit fault, right? It's usually easier to not admit fault than it is to admit fault. Um, but hey, I, I really appreciate you coming out. Um, I just don't think it's going to be a great fit for the program. But what you did was uh, means a lot, you know, and there's not an easy way to say that. That's usually what comes with making mistakes is there's not an easy way to admit that you made one. Um, but what are your thoughts kind of there weighing on how that's perceived or how that kind of comes across, or is that along the lines of what you were talking about? I mean, it, it's right in the right realm. Um, love listening to you. Uh, we all would agree those things are hard and we all would agree um, when we're not in the moment that we would say, to anyone who said to us, gee, I'm not going to do what my gut tells me is the right thing because it's hard, would say, what are you talking about? It's hard. Of what relevance is you labeling that thing hard? It's the right thing to do. So off you go. Let's get it done. Right? That's what we would say to someone else. And so it's hard to kind of turn that in on ourselves. Right? And so, you know, where does that take us? It takes us to principles. It takes us to values. What we were talking about before. If you think about and identify your values and your principles, then it becomes easier to abide by them when you get in the moment, right? If you try to, in the moment, ask yourself, what are your principles are? You become very obscured in your thinking, right? Um, and and I agree, we as coaches um, have no reason not to do something that is right um, simply because it is hard. Um, and I love this idea that we have to remember that we are dealing with kids not adults, and we're dealing with people and not commodities. Um, and lastly, you know, we have to understand that there is a massive power imbalance in, 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 the, in the recruiting relationship. There is a person with immense resources, immense authority, and virtually unfettered discretion to accept the reject on one side versus someone with no authority, no experience, who is as vulnerable as he or she could be um, with virtually no resources. And that person has reached out right, to us. Um, I think our response to those moments should be driven by what do we know in our bones is right? And what should be done when 
um, I am in, paired up with somebody over whom I have substantial powers of persuasion, authority, and decisional accountability. Um, and I think when, if we think about those things, um, not only doing the right thing gets, um, is obviously more clear to us, but I think that by doing it more often, we can get at it, right? It comes down to, should I not, should I do it or not? But it comes to, I'm going to do it. How good can I get at this? How, how good can I, how, how well can I get it, you know, essentially turning this person down, right? Um, and um, I think that's something that we can lead in. Why can't, why do we in beach volleyball have to take the view that, well, it's accepted in football and basketball or other sports. Why can't we say, we're going to be the leaders in changing this. It shouldn't be accepted. We have a small sport. We have a new sport. We have, and we, and our sport, our sport is, more built on connections and relationships than a sport with 5 million people in it. So, you know, we have, you know, a, a thousand division one players in the sport. It's a connection based sport. We're new and we're small. Aren't we best positioned to start a new way to do things than anyone else? What would happen if we thought more like that? Yeah, I, I think, you bring up great points. You both do. Like it's it's unbelievable this this insight of what the student athlete actually feels and what what responsibilities a, a coach has, and that that all kind of ties down to when when we're going through the recruiting process or you're accepting a new job or the coach is at their current position is you're making a commitment to each other. Now, what does that mean to a student athlete to make a commitment to a university or a college? What, what does it mean for a coach to commit to a student athlete? I think those are things that have to kind of line up a little bit more. Um, Colin gives the example of baseball and how they can pull scholarships just because they don't like how you're wearing your hat that day. I don't know. Um, but it, it's something that as a coach, you have to have multiple conversations with kids and being able to allow them to grow and make mistakes. Like mistakes are going to happen during this developmental process. But for a student athlete committing to a program, like that means that they are committing their full energy to me as well. And so I, my, my due diligence is to make sure that I'm giving them the same energy back. But I, I kind of want to hear it from both of your guys' perspectives of what does the commitment, like the actual word commitment, mean to you in the recruiting process? Yeah, you know, Mike, your, your comments made me, you know, reflect more. And I think that, uh, you know, I think all of us would agree. I mean, I, I think in a general sense, commitment is some version of, you know, doing what your bones tell you is right, right, or your upbringing think is right, or engaging in conduct consistent with your principles, regardless of how convenient it may be at the time, right? To me, that's some version of that. Um, and, and I would add that, you know, an old friend of mine, you know, when we made our comments on social media, you know, said to me, hey, you know, let's not forget Wayne, it's a two-way street. And of course, of course, you know, no reasonable person against that. The point isn't that we don't know that it's a two-way street. The point is that, sure, it, we know it's a two-way street, but, but to my point earlier, 95% of the traffic on this two-way street, two street always runs one way. I, I just want to run some cars the other way for someone to go, oh, yeah, this is a, that's right. The, the street does go two ways. That, that's all, right? We, the things that we are imploring um, coaches to do toward 
these young kids, of course, the young kids owe the obligation back to coaches. I just think that that conversation is done. It's done all the time, and we've heard it. Of course, the prospects need to be honest with the coaches. You don't misrepresent your height. You don't deliberately misrepresent where you're playing. You don't overtly misrepresent what town you live in or how much money you have or um, you don't you don't verbally commit to three different schools and not tell any of the three coaches that you've done that, right? But I think that the kids are well-versed in that. I think that story's been told. I just wanted to introduce the other side of that story, you know, this was my point. But, but, but uh, going back a minute, I think of commitment as, you know, doing what, you know, you believe are consistent with your principles and ethics, regardless of how convenient it happens to be to you personally. Uh, that's how I look at it. Yeah, and I would say, uh, I guess to Wayne's point, also running some cars the other way, it's it's easy to remember it's a two-way street, but yet we seem to forget very often that it is. Uh, once again, just did I just did six straight days of, of college clinics uh, for, for indoor, and at every single one, there was a coach's Q&A, and let me tell you, there weren't many Qs. There were a lot of A's, a lot of answers. A lot of talking from one perspective um, and not a lot of, you know, athlete kind of perspective. And so as much as it's not always fun, we do need the reminder. You got to be reminded, you know, how many times did your mom have to tell you to pick your dirty clothes up off the floor when you were growing up? Right. Or how many times did your parents have to tell you to brush your teeth? You know, until we are good at making it a habit, that reminder has got to keep coming. And hopefully we get to a habit sooner rather than later so we can keep all of our teeth and so our room doesn't, you know, grow mildew or whatever would happen if you left your dirty clothes on the floor. I don't know. Never never did it. Mom was always on top of me about that. But uh, we're going to need those reminders until we're really good at doing it ourselves. Uh, as far as like, – Because, Colin – sorry, Colin. I thought you were – in what I hear, what, what, what you make me think of when I – when I get to listen to you is these are just ideas, folks. This isn't a personal thing, right? If you read, if you listen to our, our discussion today, or you read, you know, what I wrote the other day, there's, it's, this it shouldn't be an emotional thing. It, it's not an attack on somebody. It, you know, we deal with ideas and concepts. We don't deal with ad hominem and personal attacks on people. Right. Um, and so, if that hit you hard, maybe it's because you saw something in your own conduct that you want to change. If you, but it's it's just an idea. It's just ideas, folks. Right? We deal with ideas, and and that's what it is. It's just, hey, let's hear a perspective from the other side. It's not some kind of personal, like, hey, these people are doing things wrong, or because I wrote it. Oh, I know it all, and it's just an idea. Just read the idea like you would read any other idea, right? The author of uh, you know the authors of books. Who, know and podcasts we just deal with ideas and um, that's all it is and while we're on i'll answer michael's question with another idea and then you know maybe we can give people a break from this uh deep recruiting conversation but uh, my idea about the commitment piece actually has changed significantly over the years um when i was you know when i was in high school and my friends were uh, getting recruited to play sports right i thought of a commitment as a marriage right as a Hey, we're doing this thing. You know, you said, and when I was in high school, right, you could commit when you were in ninth grade or whatever. So we had <laughs> freshmen in high school committing to go play four years at a university. Um, and 
you you had to honor that commitment, right? You committed to the school, not to the coach, right? You committed to going to that university, whether the sport was there or not. Um, and that's changed a little bit over the years. Do I think a commitment is an, uh, I think a commitment should be taken with a similar weight, right? I think you should take the measurement of that decision and really spend some time with it because it is a commitment. Um, I also think as with anything in life, much with my career, right? Right. I made a commitment to a career in baseball. Um, as life went on, things changed, right? Values changed, ideas changed, my, my life desires changed, right? And that's okay. I think we've frowned upon the transfer portal so much, but I think it's a shame to assume that somebody is the same person they were at 16 um, that they are now at 20 or 19. And in the same way, you know, we talk about it is more than just a school because you're not spending 20 hours a week just with the school. You're spending 20 hours a week with the players on the team and that coaching staff and that program. And if that program changes, you know, we're going to go into current events and we got what five new coaches here in some way, shape or form in the, in the last two weeks. Um, if something changes, you're allowed to have different desires. Things, it's okay, right? If the money changes, if your family circumstance changes, if I talked to a coach this weekend, she coached at a junior college in Texas. Um, and unfortunately, one of her players at some point had a parent uh, pass during, the, during her time as a freshman in college. And she came back from that and said, hey, you know, volleyball is not that important to me anymore. Right. Did she commit to that school? Yeah. Did she intentionally go about breaking a commitment? No, she life changed. Things happen. Um, so my perspective on commitment is just if you're going to make the commitment, take the time to value it out and to make sure that that it truly is something that you if you are the same person now that you are, then would you still want this? Um, but if something changes, if you're upfront and honest about it, then that's okay. Right. It's so frowned upon to have players in the transfer portal right now, or to, you know, for players to transfer. How often do you see somebody on ESPN talking about how terrible it is that so-and-so's there's no commitment to a university anymore? Maybe, but we also don't know what might've changed. We don't know if a player when they were 14 thought it was a really great idea to, to move across the country. And then as they got 17, mom got sick and now being closer to home mattered a little bit more, right? We don't look at those things or financial pieces. Maybe somebody lost a job and they were on 50% scholarship that first two years, but now they can't afford 50%. Right? We don't think about stuff like that, right? We just say, Oh, there's no loyalty anymore. Create an environment that's good to the people. And I bet you, you'll have, not a lot of turnover, um, create an environment that's bad to people. You'll probably have some more, but there's going to be natural attrition that just happens when change occurs and the world's constantly changing. So that's my opinion on commitment, Michael. Ooh, wait. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one to end it on right there. <laughs> that's good. Um, well, Wayne, well, Wayne, I want to definitely thank you for stopping by and sharing your thoughts on it because it, it is a truly unique experience to be able to coach and then go to the other side and help that student athlete get recruited and I think what you're doing is amazing and um, just 
that that reminder of it, it is a two-way street that that I think that one will live with me I hope everyone that's listening as well for the foreseeable future until I need to reminded by Colin again um but uh some some current events that Colin was just talking about with some coaching changeover obviously um we have Texas A&M Kingsville uh he, Promoted Gary Payne to head coach. Congratulations to Gary. That's a huge one. He's so deserving. I know you got the room with him this weekend, Colin. Yeah, I spent lots of time with uh, with the House of Payne, Gary. Uh, he's been at Kingsville since the start, right? He helped out. He's helped Tanya um, get that program going. He's got a national championship at the the ABCA small college level. Wayne, you might know, was it the first one? Was it, it was 2018, if I remember correctly. I don't know if that was the first small college. Uh, Gary did. Uh, let's see. It was uh, Gary won Tampa three. Yeah, I believe he won the first one. I think you're right. Gary Payne, right. Uh, won the first one. So very well deserving for him. Uh, UCLA, obviously big news when Steino left there and went to Texas. Triple J, also somebody that's been there since almost the start, gets promoted to head coach. I think she's a Hall of Famer at UCLA. She's an alumni. That was a pretty, pretty no doubter choice. Um, pretty Piantadosi Lima from uh, she coaches a club down there in Florida, kind of by you guys on the other coast, the west coast of Florida, um, is going to start the program at the University of South Florida. Short move for her. I know her her wife uh, coaches over at Eckerd, runs both the indoor and the beach program there, and I believe Pre helped her out for a couple of years. Um, Texas making another big hire on the current events. Angie Acres. Olympic gold medal coach uh, was helping out John Mayer at LMU and helped out April Ross and Alex Kleiman in Tokyo after Jen Kessie moved out to Maine. Slam dunk, no doubt, hire for her or for Texas, I should say. And then a little move in the state of Arizona. Um, Arizona State just got a coach from up the road, Kristen Rohr from Grand Canyon. Um, she's spent eight years, I think, at Grand Canyon. Uh, obviously took that program to really high level being in Gulf Shores last couple of years. And now Arizona State will have, she'll give it a go with them. Um, I assume all of those moves will lead to some job changes, right? Grand Canyon now needing a head coach, um, LMU an assistant, Arizona State. Uh, I don't know if Kristen will, I know Paula Reza was there for a little bit, so no idea what will happen there. Uh, UCLA assistant job that's been posted. Uh, UC Davis needs a head coach still. I think they're starting interviews next week. Central Arkansas, I think, has decided to make uh, that assistant coaching position uh, open, and I think they have a good idea of who their final candidates will be. Tulane, uh, EZ still needs somebody down there. Coastal Carolina, uh, Steve Loswick still needs an assistant up in Myrtle Beach. Um, St. Mary's, I guess, posted for a volunteer. Uh, Pacific did on-campus interviews for their head beach coach, which is awesome because they're splitting the program now. So that's pretty big time. LaGrange uh, School in Georgia, right, needs somebody for both, indoor and beach. Loyola in New Orleans, right down the road, NAIA school needs uh, a GA. So if anybody's looking to get a master's. And then same thing for Lynchburg, University of Lynchburg in uh, Virginia needs a, an indoor and beach graduate assistant. That's all the current events and job updates. Michael, where are you off to next? 
Yeah, so uh, like I said, the last couple podcasts, uh, we are starting up our LLC. We finally got it finished up. We got our dates out there. Um, Our first camp date will be July 14th and 15th, and then we will continue those for July 28th, 29th, and then into August, August 12th and 13th. So you can uh, find those sign-ups on, uh, if you just Google Michael Hobson Beach Camps, it will be the first one up there. Colin, what about you? Yeah, I'll be uh, up your way doing uh, some more indoor rocket fuel up in Ruston a couple days. Then I'm headed down to see Wayne Holly in Florida. Uh, at Sandstorm's got a little clinic and showcase June 16th or 18th. Um, I'm like Willie Nelson out here on the road again because uh, I, go, I go straight from there to Kansas City for P413 and then from there to AAU Indoors in Orlando, Florida. So I'll be, I'll be jet setting it. Um, Wayne, any travel for you, man? Where are you going? Oh yeah, almost every weekend. Well, I'll see you. I'll see you very shortly. I'll be at Sandstorms Tournament, seventeenth and eighteenth, down in Delray Beach, and I know they got a college coaches clinic on the sixteenth, so that'll be fun. That's uh, two minutes from my house, so I'll make the long commute over there and um, you know, dredge the beach for a little bit, and then um, and then I think I'm off to the Bahamas for a little while, and. Um, and we'll be back and then heading to Southern California uh, for a month or so. And um, and then back here to South Florida. So, yeah, hitting the trail. See you guys a lot. And um, greatly appreciate the chat uh, today, guys. Um, I immensely value the opportunity to have an intelligent conversation or one at least that we think is intelligent uh, with folks about ideas and not people. Um because I think that's how we all can get better is looking within and discussing ideas um, and uh, thoroughly enjoy the opportunity, fellas. Thanks, Wayne. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Wayne. And uh, we will see you on the next one.